Welcome to Becker and Broom on Bullets Forever, a podcast for only the best-looking Washington Wizards fans out there. My name is Ben Becker. My co-host is as good-looking as they come, and he's handy with an Excel spreadsheet. Hello, Kevin Broom. Thanks, and yeah, I don't even know how to respond to that. Also handy with Tax Act, apparently. Um, It's Sunday. It's Easter Sunday night. I'm feeling a little punchy, so... We're just going to jump right into it. So we, we took a little bit of a break over the final few weeks of the season because there wasn't really that much to talk about. But here we are. The Wizards are not only in the playoffs, but they are hosting a series for the first time in something like 175 years. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's exciting. And earlier this afternoon, they took care of home court and went up uh, 1-0 on the Hawks. So this is, we have an interesting situation with this evening's podcast because while you have recorded the game and you have run the numbers on the game, you have not seen the game. Um, To me, that's fascinating because I'm always interested in how my perceptions and how conventional wisdom and narratives square with the data. Yeah. Uh, so, So... before we hit record, you you warned me very sternly that this is neither a referendum on analytics nor the eye test, so to speak. But uh, you know what can we learn from both? Right. So that that's very interesting. I'm I'm very interested to to see what what uh, what this discussion yields. Mm-hmm. And and most of all, I'm happy that the Wizards won and uh, and that they 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 took a one zero lead. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I want to talk a little bit first about things that we feel good about because we're a feel-good podcast. Yeah. Um, the first thing that I feel good about is the the wizard starters as a unit. I took a a gander over at the game flow at Popcorn Machine, um, and if, by the way, parenthetical: if you are uh, if you listen to this podcast and you don't know about Popcorn Machine, uh, you should check it out. It's it's where you can see. Uh, what happened when who was on the court? So, little plug for Popcorn Machine. But yeah, it's so, a great site. so something I feel something I feel good about is the Wizards starters as a unit. I believe were either plus twenty two or plus twenty four, um, and almost all of that time I think was against Atlanta's starting five. Um, so, so that's something I I feel good about. Were, were you able to? From from the numbers you've run, were you able to, to to see anything on 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 the starting unit as a whole? Yeah, I mean, I look at the starting unit. Uh, so, as I look at the my my spreadsheet, um, you know, I see Wall was terrific. Looks like he was just outstanding, and then uh, Gortat had a really good game as well. And both Porter and Morris were solidly above average. Beal. Obviously struggled with his shooting, just two for eleven from three point range, but you can see that the starters were quite good. And then you get to the bench, and it's a little bit of a different story. Ubre was good, but the the real story looks to me like you know just looking at the numbers again is Wall and then you know Gortat, Porter, and Morris were all good, and Beal was you know kind of up and down. Uh, the thing with Beal, I'd be curious to see is like kind of when he got some of those numbers. You know, did he do well in the fourth quarter? trying to close out the game, that kind of thing, or, you know, did he just have an off-shooting night, you know, where if he shoots 5 for 11, it's great, you know, it's just a matter of whether the shot goes in or not. 
Well, I, I Beal missed seemed to miss a lot of looks that um, that he would have had. I mean, he just had an off shooting night. I, th- I think they did a decent job on him early, not giving him space. But uh, again, you know, the fact that that um, the unit did so well when when Beal had a had an unspectacular game is something. Um, something I feel good about. I, I think when when you watch a lot of what you just said, um, you'll, you'll see. You know, Gortat was great. And by the way, um, this speaks to the power I think of Gortat's um, popu- popularity and celebrity. But we have a decent number of listeners in Poland, so mm-hmm. shout out to them. Yeah. Definitely say hi to us on Twitter. Yeah. Um, but uh, but uh, G- Gortat was fantastic um, to the point where he was. So pleased about that that he even picked up a technical for taunting, which, you know, I, I, I wasn't upset about in the moment. I did have to explain it to my six-year-old son, but that's just yeah. part of parenthood. Um, you know, one thing, observation that's kind of interesting is with Beal. I mean, you think about this. So Beal shot two for 11 from three-point range. If he hits two more two more threes in his game, so he's shooting four for 11, it's basically a normal game for him, maybe a little below his norm, but it's – pretty much his normal game so you know the margins are really small when you're looking at just one game and the other thing is if you add you know six points to the wizards total mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you know it looks like a blowout and the, the wizards uh when so in the um when the bench did come in in the first half uh the hawks made a big run the bench was terrible um particularly in the first half some of that, I think, has something to do with circumstances of the game, whereby Beal picked up two early fouls, so he couldn't stagger. Uh, Brooks couldn't stagger Wall and Beal, so the entire bench unit, including Sadoransky, was in and mass. And obviously, uh, Mahinmi wasn't available, so it, it was just uh, it, it was really a a a, a rough stretch. Mm-hmm. But um, even. Even when Atlanta took the lead after the Wizards has had a an early lead, I was never watching this game thinking, "Man, this is trouble." I was thinking, mm-hmm. "Okay, the starters are going to get back in and take control of the game again." Hey, you know, Bradley Beal's a great shooter. He's missing some shots he normally makes. Like, the Wizards are fine. So even when the score was relatively close or the Wizards were behind, I just uh, I was never concern there wasn't that fan angst there Mm -hmm. and maybe that just speaks to this matchup and and the strength of uh of atlanta as an opponent um and and maybe they're just i don't know maybe they're just not set up to beat the wizards yeah i i gotta be honest i mean atlanta just didn't really concern me very much and maybe that's just you know some hubris or it's you know disrespect or whatever but i just they they're not that good and you know, I think the Wizards are a better team, and they should win the series. You know, I, th- I think it's going to go, you know, five or six games. But I, the Wizards should beat these guys, and uh, their starting lineup. The Wizards had one of the better starting lineups, and you know, better, one of the better lineups period this year, uh, with their starting group. And the Atlanta doesn't have anybody, and you know, anything that can really stand up to that. And so, you know, I really do think that the Wizards should be able to win this. It would be great if they could get some some better performance from their bench you know as I look at the bench you know they Ubre was pretty good but other than him they got 
basically nothing. You know, Jennings was a very, very slight positive. I guess he was all right. Um, Sadoransky, they got basically nothing. And uh, Jason Smith was, looks like he was pretty disastrous. You know, he missed his only shot. He did get a rebound. But three turnovers and four fouls in 13 minutes, that's not very good. Yeah, the bench is an area of concern that that I want to put a pause on for a second because there are a few other things that I that that, that are feel good things that I just want to dig into a little bit. One is just looking at the box score. Dennis Schroeder mm-hmm. had a uh, pretty good st- statistical game for him. He was three of five from three, twenty five points on sixteen shots, nine assists, only two turnovers, and I I. I I'm not a fan of Dennis Schroeder's game, and uh, and if if he's putting together a night like this, and the Wizards are still winning, uh, you know, as handily as they did by by a seven point margin and scoring, you know, sixty nine points in the second half, I feel very good about that because we know we're not going to see this level of production from Schroeder throughout the series. Yeah, Hardaway may be better, you know. There. You know, Millsap may be better. There are some things that are going to balance us out, but um, uh, if I, I am pretty sure that Schroeder's going to get worse at points during the series, and that's going to have a uh, a little bit of a domino effect on on their team. Yeah, uh, do you, you know, when I do you agree yeah, with that. Yeah, when I look, I mean, it looks like really the only real help that he got in this game, talking about Schroeder, would be Dwight Howard, kind of, sort of. Um, I mean, not kind of, sort of. Dwight Howard had a terrible offensive game, but uh, rebounded quite well. And uh, Ilyasova looks like he had a, a decent game, and that's but that's about it. I mean, nobody else even rated average or better. I mean, Schroeder accounted for forty percent of the Hawks' production in this game. Uh, Dwight Howard was nineteen percent. So, between the two of them, what's that? Almost seventy percent of the team of the of their production in the game was just those two players. So they could really use some help. And it's funny. It's like in the, you know, those are the guys you most hear talked about in terms of that are not easy to play with Mm -hmm. on that, on that team. So, uh, and they're, and when they, you know, when they made their mini run at the end of the season and, and the Hawks had that massive comeback, that 26-point comeback in the fourth quarter against the Cavs, uh, neither of those guys were on the court for most of it. So, look, look I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I just don't think Atlanta's that good. I, I don't think they know who they are. I don't think they they love playing together. And so, yeah, if um, I, I hope that uh, that the Wizards can make short work of them. All that said, um, you know we know a lot of things can happen, and uh, that's why they play the games. But mm-hmm. but it, it it feels good to be up one zero. The other thing that I feel good about, and again, this is I wouldn't expect you to have too much to say about this, uh, but just Millsap. You know, Millsap's their best player. Uh, and he's already making comments post game about you know the Wizards' physicality. I think he said you know they were playing MMA with him or whatever. You know, very efficient shooting game, right? You know, 19 points on eight shots, but four turnovers, just two rebounds. Um, Markeith Morris gives the Wizards something matchup wise against Millsap that they have not had before. Um, and if Millsap can't 
put the team on his back and and go crazy against the Wizards, it, this is this is going to be a really hard series for Atlanta to win. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it, with Atlanta, their possession distribution has been an issue all year. You know, Schroeder is there is number one in usage for them, and he's overall this season was pretty low in efficiency. Uh, well below average and that's you know today he was really good but odds are he's not going to do that again anytime soon this is a very abnormal game for him but you look at guys like you know Paul Millsap who has been a terrific player throughout his career and he got eight shots in 34 minutes now he he did get uh, you know get to the free throw line 11 times which is pretty good but and four turnovers that's not good but the point is though you get an eight shots in 40 minutes you get Dwight Howard 29 minutes he got six shots, and that just seems a little crazy to me. I mean, Kent Bazemore had ten shots. You know, uh, Ilyasova got up six. Muscala had five shots in just thirteen minutes. And somehow or another, you know, you've got uh, Schroeder as your your point guard, and he he had nine assists, but somehow he he never seems able. He wasn't able to find big men in this game anyway. And you get a guy like yeah. Millsap who's um, really talented, and Dwight Howard's pretty good you know, pick and roll um, partner sometimes, you know, as a role man. So it seems that that issue of how they play together is something that Atlanta is going to have to be thinking about and be concerned about as it's been for them all year. Yep. And, and again, I I think you will, you will see this when, when you watch, but um, Gortat especially and Morris as well, really just, they were, ready to play physical mm-hmm. playoff basketball. Gortat was just tremendous, you know, fighting Howard inside for everything. If they can get that level of production from Gortat, they're, they're going to go far. And, and, and the hope all along with this team was that, look, they've got these problems on the bench, and boy, did we see them today. But playoff rotations are shorter because because there's more rest time between games and because coaches just say, you know, whatever, I'd rather lose with my stars playing 44 minutes than, um, than, than, you know, resting them for, uh, at, and, and not live to see another day. Right. So, yeah. um, now, now about that bench, you know, definitely an area of concern. They were better in their, in their stint in the second half. But it was a it was a disaster in the first half. Brandon Jennings, so so Brandon Jennings is is two things. Right now his his jumper is basically broken, and it's really hard to play a non shooter with John Wall. Even though John shot the ball, you know, respectably well from from deep. Mm-hmm. But but the other thing is you know Jennings is just you know he just the, the straight line drives to the basket that he allows on defense just wrecks anything that you're trying to do from a defensive scheme standpoint and and he's just got to play better i mean you know this series it may not be an issue because of the difference in the starters and because you know uh he's not so physically overmatched by Jose Calderon but you know there there were a couple times when Jennings you know, was just taken straight to the basket by by Schroeder, and you know, sort of having visions of him trying to guard Marcus Smart or Avery Bradley or something um, in the next round, and and they they've just they, they they need him to be better 
in in multiple facets of the game and and pretty quickly. Yeah, the the most important thing defensively is for for a perimeter player is to to follow the team's force rules. And so, I mean, I don't know exactly what the Wizards' force rules are. Most teams play some variation of, you know, Larry Brown systems. That's what the Spurs do, where basically you try to force... So hang on for a second. I want you... I only know what you mean because you explained this to me like seven years ago. <laughs> but 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 what are, what are teams' force rules? Okay, it's based on the idea that stopping perimeter penetration is a virtual impossibility. I mean, to completely shutting it down. People are going to get by you because, you know, like try to stay in front of John Wall. Good luck, right? Try to stay in front of Schroeder. Good luck. So what you try to do as a perimeter defender is guide the ball and the the man to certain spots on the floor where you're going to have help, you know, basically programmed help. Because and so and what that Larry Brown did is he sort of he actually wrote an article for a basketball coaching journal back in the 80s. And coaches have all been using variations of it, at least since then, probably before that, too. And the idea was that you force the ball to the sideline and to the baseline. And if it's on the baseline, you trap it, usually with a big man. The idea being that if you ask a coach, any coach, you know, where do you want the ball to go? And invariably, you want the ball in the middle. You want to get the ball into the paint because from inside the paint, you you force the defense to collapse. You can kick out to open shooters. You can, uh, you know, hit uh, the big man who's you know who whose man has just helped on the on the penetration, or you can score a layup or a dunk or something like that, or get fouled. So, on offense, you want to get the ball in the middle as much as you can. So on defense, what you want to do is force the ball, like I said, sideline then baseline, and the idea being that the big men are going to hopefully be in a good position to help out and can challenge shots down there along the baseline or challenge shots, you know, as they, as they're coming, you know, as that guard is coming around. And so basically you have all of your rotations programmed around the idea of force rules. Like I said, most teams do sideline baseline forces. So if Jennings is giving up straight line drives and letting people into the middle, that's a big problem. And he's got to do a better job of, sending guys to his help and he doesn't have help in the middle you know if he's penetration is coming free into the middle then the defense is is collapsing it's not rotating right and and so just to add to that you know and i'm i'm sure some people know this but i'm frankly sure some people don't but so you know you hear the phrase icing pick and rolls Mm -hmm. all the time in in nba parlance and you know i guess tom thibodeau made it famous you know just hearing that gravelly you know bellowing voice screaming ice 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 from the bench but that is in essence sending you know in that high pick and roll sending that guard away from the middle sending him to the sideline to the baseline because that's where the help is so if you have a defense that is schemed that help is positioned there and that ball handler can get away from that there, there there's no help and as you say things are you know people aren't rotating they're they're collapsing mm-hmm. so and 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 who was it? Was it? It was Rick Carlisle, right? Mm-hmm. Who who you had a great discussion about defense with, and 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 he told you something that you repeated to me that I'll never forget because I I made an offhand comment to you at one point about you know someone not being athletic enough or something like that. Mm-hmm. And what did uh, what did Rick Carlisle say so, to you? So yeah, so the, just to give you an idea, Rick Carlisle was the coach of Detroit at the time, 
and this was so long ago that Kwame Brown was was with with the Wizards, and I got Rick Carlisle before the game, and I asked him why Richard Hamilton was a good defender in Detroit and a terrible defender in Washington. And for whatever reason, that intrigued him enough that he started to explain why. And the reasons why, that's when he got into force rules and um, having great defenders like uh, Clifford Brown and um, uh, Ben Wallace. Um, and And the idea being that what Carlisle said to me is anybody can be a good defender in our system if they follow our rules and play with effort. And I made some crack, you know, like even me. And he said, well, there's a minimum requirement for athletic ability, <laughs> which I thought was very fair. And um, but the principle there was that Richard Hamilton could be a good defender for them because they could lay out for him exactly what they wanted him to do. And as long as he executed that, he could be a good defender. And in, in Detroit's system, it was force the penetration, force the ball first to the sideline, then to the baseline. And at the baseline, you're going to have Ben Wallace there to help you out. And that, yeah, you have a, that system a worked quite well. Defender. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, so, Washington, years ago, they, they had something similar to that. I mean, the team was not very good defensively. But they had Brendan Haywood, who was not a Hall of Famer, not a Hall of Fame defender, but he's he was just long and uh, had a knack for kind of showing up at the right spot. And when his teammates followed their force rules, um, or when they actually played with force rules that made sense, I should say, and they followed yeah. them, then the team actually could be pretty good defensively. But that that team coached by Eddie Jordan had a lot of defensive schemes. It was kind of more of a... Uh, more of a college defensive system where they thought doing things like trapping and pressuring and you know that kind of stuff was was beneficial and so they had different force rules for different situations and so we are pretty amazing the wizards just won their first home game one in and we're talking about freaking we're having a conversation about kwame brown and and eddie jordan's defensive schemes yeah um i will just say that um I have always really liked Brendan Haywood. He's a good broadcaster now. I really like him on uh, SiriusXM NBA Radio. And I do want, you know, I, Brendan Haywood's got to think that he came along a generation, you know, a half a generation too soon because, I, I, you know, he was a he was a smart defender and and he was enormous and and contested shots and the Wizards were always better defensive teams when he was on the floor. And uh, God, the, with the money guys are making these days, uh, you know, Bre- you knew Brendan. I mean, you you know that uh, that he's got to be, got to be thinking, man. You know, I wish I could be someone's twenty minute a night center <laughs> um, in this day and age. Yeah. Um, so look, Jenny, that all, that was a uh, long winded way of saying that the bench was not good. Jennings was not good at the at the point of the defense. You know, I, I think that I was surprised, and by judging on Twitter during the game, a lot of people were surprised at how deep Brooks went into the bench. He, you know, he he played five bench guys, and uh, Mahimi didn't play, so mm-hmm. he really went to their eleventh man, which is something you know everyone says. Oh, in the playoffs, you play eight guys, and maybe that has a little bit to do with he's still trying to see matchups and what he's got. 
maybe some of it has to do with the fact that he he sees their advantage over Atlanta starters and says, you know, we, we can steal a few minutes, a mm-hmm. few more minutes here and there. In his post game press co- press conference, you know, he he did make a reference to stealing minutes for John and Brad. Mm-hmm. Well, I will say, I mean, he played Sadoransky only two minutes, so it was really a nine man rotation. I, I don't know who would would have gotten fewer minutes if. Uh, Mahinmi had been available, and I would also note that uh, both Porter and Gortat really only played, got 32 minutes, 31 minutes. So neither one of those guys went too too deep in in the minutes. You know, Morris and Wall and Beal played a lot. You know, it's you just everything turned out fine today, and then again you, you still see like so, so Beal went out with two fouls in the first quarter, and so Jennings came in and played with Wall, and then I thought that if Beal hadn't had that foul trouble that maybe you know you play Jennings and Wall together for a few minutes and then you bring back Beal with the bench which is I think what happened in in the fourth quarter and it's Mm -hmm. like oh we got a little bit of a dose of if the Wizards have some sort of backcourt hiccup Mm -hmm. you know if someone turns an ankle and is out for a quarter in in the locker room getting treatment or if someone picks up some fouls ahead of schedule down the road things can get a little dicey because you know, when you go into the season with Marcus Thornton as your primary backup shooting guard, right. and you know, with the other list of items they needed to address at the trade deadline, you know, backup backup shooting guard is just not something that was ever addressed. So, mm-hmm. you know, it it could be an issue, and hope everyone stays healthy, and and it's not right. Yeah, well, yeah, I agree, and this sort of gets me to one of my other minor critiques of coaches, and I say coaches because every coach does this where Bradley Beal picks up two fouls in the first quarter, and what do they do? They immediately pull him out of the game and they sit him, right? That drives me nuts. You know, Beal ended up with three fouls for the game. He ended up playing 39 minutes. You know, I, I don't think you need to overreact to two fouls in the first quarter or, you know, three fouls in the second quarter, in the, especially in the playoffs. Beal, Beal knows how to play and play a lot of minutes, and he, he generally doesn't foul a lot. So two fouls is not something that you would particularly worry about. You know, if you get a guy who's more foul prone, uh, Mahinmi, you know, he picks up two, two fouls for, he was starting, for example, if he picks up a couple fouls in the first quarter, maybe you pull him out so you can have him later. But a guy like Beal, not much reason to worry about it. So you have touched on a separate podcast, which I want to do with yeah. you, but which is, but, but it is, you know, and I want, and I want Twitter's questions and, and I have some of my own, but it's sort of like, what are what are conventional basketball wisdoms that that are, are worth challenging? Mm-hmm. I feel like we now live in a basketball world with, you know, that's heavy heavily analytically driven, and a, a lot of assumptions have have changed. But uh, you know, you highlight one that you know that that's really interesting to me. Um, you know, particularly it's like if you've got a guy who's not prone to fouling and he's used to playing heavy minutes, and you know that his foul calls were just kind of flukes, like right. You know what? What are the odds on 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 keeping him in the game? So that's interesting. So something else. I heard Antoine Jameson, I think, on the post game on NBA TV say, you know, this is good. You know, it's a good win for the Wizards and everything. But you know, everyone knows that um, you know a playoff series doesn't start okay. until the home team home team loses a game. Right. And I've always thought that was kind of dumb because you know going into this series, you had a uh, you know the Wizards with a percentage chance to to win and then as soon as they won game one that percentage went up Mm -hmm. uh and and we know that 
if you know if two teams are even and and I think we think the Wizards are are a better team, but if one team's only got to win three more games, the other one's got to win four. Like mm-hmm. winning one game in a best of seven series is significant, right? Yeah, just by the way, uh, at least on my little prognostication machine here, uh, the Wizards went from eighty-one uh, percent chance of winning the series to by winning game one, it went to eighty-seven percent. Well, hell, why even play the rest of the games at this I point, agree. Kevin? I mean, yeah, I agree. Um, well, so, entertainment uh, value and money. <laughs> there you go. Yes, entertainment value and money. One other thing to note is uh, you mentioned Jason Smith before. He had a rough. He had a rough game. He had a, a rough first half, and then in the second half, he had an injury scare. The post-game reports are that he has a bruised knee, and he was available to come back into the game, but Brooks didn't go back to him. Hopefully, with game two not being until Wednesday, he's fine. Ubre apparently has a bruised knee also, and there's a little talk of potentially an x-ray for him, but they think he's fine also. But just injuries can screw everything up. They've certainly done so before for the Wizards. It was awful seeing that Rudy Gobert got hurt yeah. um, on the on Utah's first possession the other night. And, and good to see that it doesn't look like it was a serious injury and that he may come back. But just, you know, at, at this time of year, you want teams to be at full strength and, and you want to see uh, you, you want to see guys remain healthy. So hopefully Smith and Oubre particularly, because there are guys, but, but hopefully they're 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 good to go for for the remainder of the series and and the playoffs. So, so you just told me really what you're expecting going forward. You're expecting the Wizards to win this series pretty handily if if they've got an 87 percent chance of of moving on at this point. Yeah, I expect that they're going to win. They sh- should win tomorrow. I mean, not tomorrow. Game two was that Wednesday. Then I mean they they have at least coin flip. You know, even in Atlanta, they have. Coin, their coin flip favorites in the in those games in Atlanta, they're just a better team than the Hawks are, and this has shown up uh, throughout the course of the regular season. It's also shown up head to head. You know, one thing that was a little interesting to see was that this was more of an offensive game, and the Wizards and Hawks have not had those kinds of games th- during the regular season. Throughout the regular season, those were the, you know their four meetings were uh, really defensive struggles, and so this was the first kind of uh, you know more offensive game. You know where both teams played pretty well offensively. Well, kind of interesting. It's interesting see. because, well, it, it is interesting in that you know the first half. You know, at the end of the first half, it was forty-eight forty-five Atlanta, and the Wizards were having a decent amount of trouble scoring, but it was mm-hmm. mostly you know missed shots and and turnovers. It wasn't and and, and careless turnovers. It, it didn't seem like Atlanta had schemed them and uh, into personnel that the Wizards couldn't score on, and then. In the second half, the Wizards erupted for for nearly seventy points. Right. So Atlanta's a really good defensive team, and and if they can't slow the Wizards down significantly, they're not going to win the series. And and so here's hoping that that that's indeed the case, and it's a short series, and the Wizards can um can get a little rest and do some scouting on Boston or or maybe Chicago, given the fact that Chicago won Game One and uh, in Boston, and that series could be longer than than some people expected something that i wanted to talk about with you you know over that those last few weeks of the season i still don't know what to make of the wizards you know they they didn't win 50 games they won 49 they're a good team there's no doubt about that but but this is such this strikes me as such a weird year in the east because the wizards are one of a few good teams Mm -hmm. you know good to very good but they're 
there is really a path for them to make a deep run. At the same time, making a deep run doesn't necessarily make them a good, a great team, right? It, it, it could just mean that they happen to be very good during a year when there were no great teams in, in the Eastern Conference. Is that silly or is that is that something we could potentially be looking at? Well, I, I would agree with you. You know, if you look at uh, what they've did, what they've done in the regular season in terms of, you know, they played one of the league's easiest schedules. They 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 did well. You know, they're a good they're a good team, you know, solidly plus, but you know, not hugely so. They were, you know, plus 1.8 scoring margin against a schedule that was almost half a point per game worse than average. And so they're not. It's not like they've they've been overwhelmingly terrific. They had a great stretch for you know several weeks in January and I guess partly into February, and after that they were a little more, you know, a little more down to earth, a little more like what their overall season numbers, you know, were. And uh, there's actually a great visualization that somebody else did. It's on my Twitter feed somewhere. You've got to sift through the. Uh, politics stuff and it shows like each team sort of 10 game rolling average of um you know offensive oh, yeah, off scoring that. margin and you know for the wizards there's this huge spike in the middle of the season and at the the beginning and at the end it's much you know it's much closer to the average and a little below average well, even l- look i guess it doesn't really matter that much well i mean it, here's, it the, matters, here's the thing and it, it only matters for go ahead sorry go ahead no and i was going to say here's the thing is that it, it really doesn't matter. And, and again, it, you know, if, if you look at the East, there's, you know, the Wizards are decent, but there's nobody that's better than them. You know, there's nobody that's significantly better. You know, you would expect Cleveland could be stronger, but Cleveland's got its own issues. You know, their defense has been horrific. And, uh, you know, Boston is theoretically is better, but, you know, they've that's a flawed team as well. And uh, Toronto is is better and they made some nice moves at the trade deadline to pick up uh, Ibaka and uh, Tucker to, to strengthen that team but they're a flawed team as well and you know the Wizards are far from a perfect team um, they've got still one of the worst benches in the league but they also have a really good starting lineup and in the playoffs this year against the competition they're facing that might be enough to make a really deep run and maybe even you know Eastern Conference Finals are not out of the question, and getting to the finals is not out of the question. You know, it's not super likely, but there's nobody in the East who's significantly better. And if the Wizards, you know, are playing well, they can play with anybody in the East. Yep, and and at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Uh, all, the only thing that matters is is winning, and the the self assessment is the job of the front office from the standpoint of, all right, well, where do we go from here? And and I can only hope that the, that the Wizards making an NBA Finals run could cause the front office to draw some wrong conclusions about the, the team. It wouldn't be the first time the front office drew wrong conclusions about the team, but, but wouldn't it be fun if the cause was, uh, was an NBA Finals run? And because... This we are a happy podcast, and and today is a happy day. I think we should wrap it up there. <laughs> All right. So people subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, on whatever weirdly named podcast app you use. Follow Kevin on Twitter at broom underscore Kevin. Check out his Wizards stuff on Bullets Forever. 
Now that he's done with his taxes, he might actually write something new. And also check out KevinBroom.com because Kevin writes very interesting stuff, not about the Wizards, and he's got a mystery novel that's going to come out at some point here. I am on Twitter, at underscore Ben Becker, and we will be back at you uh, very soon and as frequently as possible during the playoffs, hopefully this long playoff run. This is Becker and Broom on Bolts Forever. <laughs>